Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm just seeing if we're live. We should be live at this moment, waiting. It looks like we have an excellent condition con connection this morning. I'm just waiting to see. There we go. Um, this morning we have with us um, Dr. Valerie Stam and uh, Patricia Harewood from the from Cowie, the City of All Women Initiatives. Um, during this time of social and physical distancing, SACPA believes it's important to keep engaging with the public on issues on of the day and in order to do so we are very thankful for the continuing support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight and the Lethbridge Herald. Um, I'd like to introduce our speakers. Dr. Valerie Stam is the Executive Director of the City for All Women Initiative, um, also known or more often known as CAWI, where she coordinates training and advocacy with community leaders for inclusion and equitable change in municipal policies. She's a facilitator and educator with over 20 years experience in intersectional gender approaches to development, civic engagement, research and policies, both locally and abroad. Patricia Harewood is a labor lawyer and a passionate advocate for human rights, especially women's equality rights and the rights of racialized people. As a member of the board of the City of All Women Initiative, a volunteer co-host co of CHUO's Black on Black, and a board member of her child children's daycare. She especially enjoys collaborating with others to discuss and address systematic barriers faced by historically marginalized communities. Welcome both. Thank you very much for taking this opportunity to join us here today. And I look forward and I think we all look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thanks for having us. Thanks very much, Annalise, for that very welcoming uh, introduction. And as you said, I am Patricia Harewood, a member of the board. And today we're going to be talking to you about uh, some of our work and specifically with respect to our response as an organization to the very uncertain uh, and usual times in which we're living in through this COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm going to start just by um, speaking very briefly about uh, CAWI, who we are, what we do. Um, we're then going to talk a little bit about our uh, the open letter that we wrote to City Council here in Ottawa on a gendered response to COVID-19. Uh, we'll then talk about what CAWI is doing during the pandemic and what are the intersectional gendered impacts of the pandemic? So specifically, what are we hearing from members, from our supporters? And in addition, we're gonna be talking about some of the recommendations that we made in uh, the letter to the mayor and council and what has been accomplished so far. So that's sort of an outline of our presentation. So I'll begin with what we are. We are a unique collaboration of women, people who identify as women, and we work across some um, diverse communities, organizations, and academia. And we work with municipal decision makers to really attempt to create a more inclusive Ottawa and to advance intersectional gender equity. 
the, the initiative, CAWI as such, the organization, the precursor to it was the Research Action Project on Women's Access to City Services in 2001. And at that time, I was a student at the University of Ottawa, geography student actually, and I was a focus group coordinator tasked with looking at women's access to city services and interviewing a broad um, intersection of uh, communities on how to um, ensure that women had better access to decision-making structures and making concrete recommendations for change. So that's been my involvement with uh, the project. And that's a little bit about Cowie. And of course, you can always also go to our website, uh, which is cowie-ivtf.org to get more um, information about uh, the organization. So I'm hearing, should I, should I continue? Okay. Okay. So, um, sorry, I was just hearing what, what had been said previously. So in terms of uh, the actual open letter that we wrote to city council and the mayor, um, Jim Watson, uh, I want to talk about why we wrote a letter. So as a board, as an organization, we were into, you know, the second and third week of this shutdown of COVID-19 and seeing the impacts of this on uh, people in the city of Ottawa and in particular, the diversity of, of women that make up uh, this, this city. And so what we noticed overall was that there was a lack of an intersectional gender response in pandemic planning. So in the city's actually actual response uh, to uh, this pandemic, we, we heard from insiders, I will call them that, within the city, within the city's equity infrastructure, and I won't name them, but there were insiders in the city that were also of the same mind, that were looking for external support from community organizations to support that um, argument that really there was a lack of an intersectional gendered response and that that needed to be incorporated into the crisis planning that the city was involved in. So what we ended up doing uh, as, a, as a group, as an organization, is we, we sat down as a board, uh, we sat down with staff, uh, obviously all over the phone, physically distanced, uh, and we spoke about areas that we wanted to address, and we ended up with the letter that you will see on our website. So the letter to the mayor and uh, city council addresses four key areas. One area is the issue of um, gender-based violence. So obviously, in a situation where people are forced to stay at home and are in fact being advised by public health authorities to stay at home in a situation where we have states of emergency that have been called that were called um, across provinces, so you know, Ontario being one example, but in, in obviously jurisdictions across this country, uh, we we noticed in in Ottawa specifically, and we were hearing from uh, women's organizations that. There was um, women who were facing violence, children facing violence, that were even more under the radar now. And so um, we, this was one of the areas where we felt there need, needed to be um, action on the part of the city to work 
with uh, women's shelters, to work with uh, organizations working on gender-based violence, to ensure that um, these women, um, these families were not uh, left behind in, in situations of violence. So the other area we focused on in our letter was really around housing and homelessness. And obviously, we, again, with the uh, COVID-19 shutdown, this has disproportionately impacted certain communities and the, the at-risk community, at-risk of homelessness community, people who are um, couch surfing, uh, refugees, uh, new uh, newcomers to this country and to this city, uh, obviously would have uh, a, a dis would be disproportionately impacted. So we addressed issues around um, homelessness in the letter. And then we spoke also about the gender division of labor and um, precarious work. The fact that in this pandemic, as we know, the majority of people who are doing care work, the people who are doing essential service work, the people on the front lines, whether we're talking about grocery workers or we're talking about personal support workers or we're talking about people who are working as, um, as uh, nurses in the healthcare system, this work is done by women and the majority of work that involves cleaning or keeping spaces, public or private spaces clean, this is largely due to the um, gender division of labor, uh, uh, the patriarchal division of, of uh, labor, this falls on the hands of uh, women. And so we wanted this to be as well addressed and considered in the city's uh, response and pandemic response planning. And finally, the last point we made in our letter was really around equitable access to information and services. The fact that in our community in Ottawa, where we have a high percentage of people who are, speak languages other than English and French, for example, Arabic, or Somali, uh, people were not getting information. Uh, people who identify as women were not getting information about, for example, social distancing measures, about um, what that means in terms of what they can do and how this might change um, their life and their movement through the city. So these were the really the four areas that our uh, letter addressed. Great. I'm going to pass it on to my colleague. Thanks, Patricia. So I'm Valerie Stan. I'm the executive director of CAWI, and uh, I am going to talk a little bit about what CAWI's been doing during these pandemic times. Um, so when we uh, wrote the open letter and we were hearing from people in the community and our membership about the impact of the pandemic on their lives, um, we thought we should start gathering some data. And so we've developed an online survey that's uh, just an ongoing survey. There's no uh, deadline so we still have people responding to it um, and this there's a survey for our membership uh, so women from across the city those who identify as women um, can answer the survey and it's about how the pandemic is affecting their lives in this time and specifically as women and what that means for them and the caregiving work that they're doing we also have another survey for our partners, our organizational partners, to find out more about what those needs are that they're seeing on the ground. Uh, and we're also finally partnering with a PhD student at Carleton University, and she's doing research um, with lone mothers. Um, and she's pivoted her research in this time to look at uh, what's the 
impact of the pandemic on lone mothers specifically. Uh, so this is where we're getting a lot of our uh, information from. In addition to this, we also are doing weekly online check-ins with our membership, uh, as well as partner organizations. And so this, the reason for these check-ins, um, really it's twofold. One is we wanted to create a space where people can uh, just connect um, and talk to people uh, to reduce some of the social isolation that we're all feeling. Um, and also as a way to talk about specific issues. And so, um, for instance, uh, this past Wednesday, we talked specifically about food security uh, and had someone in from a partner organization uh, who deals specifically with uh, food security across the city. Um, and so it was a chance for residents and for um, partners to ask questions to this resource person and also a chance for them to share information about resources that they have. Um, we're conducting research on um, what uh, the impacts of the pandemic are uh, around the world and how that might um, correlate to what we're experiencing in Ottawa and what are some lessons learned from around the world. Um, and we also, as a result of the letter, were asked to sit on the city's human needs task force. And now this is a task force that the city struck um, very quickly um, once the pandemic uh, was called. Uh, and it's comprised of city staff from many different departments, as well as Ottawa Public Health, um, and from partner agencies on the ground um, from a number of different sectors, such as uh, the housing and homelessness sector, uh, community health sector, the violence against women sector, etc. Uh, and so as a result of that, um, and knowing some of the challenges that we were hearing about on the ground, uh, we uh, decided uh, and asked to join the um, homelessness subcommittee of the Human Needs Task Force, um, which is particularly uh, uh, regarding people who are vulnerable, those um, vulnerable people in our communities uh, and uh, the needs that they might have. In addition to this, we're conducting policy research around um, things that uh, the city is planning or is doing or could do uh, in terms of the pandemic, so pandemic response, uh, and um, crafting some of our own recommendations based on what we're hearing from people. And we've also um, put together a media strategy so that we can reach out uh, with the media uh, and circulate uh, the concerns that we're hearing and also the policy recommendations that we're making. So now we'll talk a bit about um, some of those stories we've been hearing from the ground, uh, from our members, uh, and the intersectional gendered impacts of the pandemic more globally, and some of our recommendations. So Patricia will start us off there. Yes, thanks, Valerie. So as Valerie has said, this information is really coming from a survey that Cowie has been conducting with our members with our membership, reaching out to our membership to hear directly from our members how they've been um, impacted by COVID-19. And I want to start just with what we've been hearing about isolation and fear and mixing that together with a lack of information. 
Uh, I think all of us uh, are aware that during this COVID-19 pandemic, there has been so much information and that it, it may become difficult sometimes for people to know where to go for, for information. What we've heard from people who are seniors in our community, newcomers, and those who are living with disabilities is that many of them have been actually fearful of going outside. Um, they're not sure uh, what is allowed, what is not. And because information has changed uh, on, uh, on at such a rapid state, at such a rapid pace, it has been difficult for, for people to know, you know, what information um, they should follow and what is is the the right information at that time. Um, and as well from people who are uh, who identify as women and with disabilities, some have identified an actual fear that if they do go out, if they do leave their their homes, that they're fearful that other people may not maintain their social distance. So there's a there's been a, a sense of a lack of information circulating on what the social physical distancing restrictions are. Uh, in there is an equity issue here because uh, we hear this most from um, newcomer communities as well, where English or French may not be or is not widely spoken rather. So one of the recommendations from um, what we have heard that we conveyed in our letter is that it's really important that information on physical and social distancing measures be shared widely and in a timely manner and effectively that it be translated into multiple languages other than English and French and that um, th that the city find ways to circulate it in many ways so not just online because obviously not everybody has access to online or to a computer or to the internet but through radio, ads, uh, news, um, community partners, and the existing community infrastructure, whether it's uh, community developers, for example, or uh, other, other people who play a role of connectors as connectors in the community. We've spoken about, uh, in our recommendation, the importance of sharing innovative ways using informal networks, which could be, you know, neighbor to neighbor, um, as well, uh, the, the use of community radio stations, which are, are often in higher usage in um, underserved communities. So uh, this is on the issue of isolation and fear and lack of information. The other uh, thing that we've been hearing from our members is really around policing and enforcement. So there's been an increased fear of people who are from groups that are already targeted by law enforcement. So for example, people who are identify as racialized, people who are indigenous, who already are policed at a much higher rate than, um, than communities that are, are non-racialized. And so we've seen in our parks, on our streets, that again, um, people have been complaining that they feel law enforcement has been disproportionately targeting them um, to enforce physical distancing uh, measures. And, and so our, our recommendation in our letter to Mayor and City Council was really that the focus should be on education, not on enforcement that where city staff such as uh, librarians or even um, parks and recreation staff where they might be redeployed 
to work, uh, to do other kinds of work, community outreach and parks and other public spaces serve in a sense as education ambassadors to assist people who may need uh, the information uh, that they don't have around the importance and of social physical uh, distancing. And so again, the, the enforcement on uh, the uh, emphasis on education and not on enforcement. In addition, we have asked uh, we for information around sex and race disaggregated data uh, this is something that has also come from our own Ontario Human Rights Commissioner, who's made the request of uh, the province and particularly the Minister of Health for uh, information, disaggregated information on uh, race when it comes to who is being disproportionately impacted by COVID. In other jurisdictions, such as the United States, in uh, England, uh, you can. We are already beginning to see research that shows that certain communities, for example, in the U.S., African Americans are tw twice or three times more affected by COVID-19. So we would like information um, from you know public health around uh, data, disaggregated data on uh, race. Uh, in particular, to give us a better picture of how uh, the Ottawa community is being affected, and particularly people who are women who uh, uh, who are racialized. So the last point I'm going to bring up because before I pass this over to um, Valérie is uh, equitable access to green space. So one of the one of the issues we brought up in the letter to the mayor was that there is an is not an equitable access to green space. So we have people in Ottawa in high density neighborhoods living in apartments in community housing who do not have access regular access to a green space and in during the COVID-19 um, pandemic do not safely have access to green space. During the pandemic so far um, up until yesterday, in fact, we did not have access. Residents of Ottawa did not have access to public parks. Uh, at uh, Later on during the pandemic, that was relaxed to allow for people to walk through parks, but they could not linger. So you couldn't actually use the, the green space to, uh, you know, uh, uh, kick around a ball, for example, if you're, you're uh, a mom with a couple of children. Uh, and so we asked for access to safe access to green parks. We understand that there are issues around access to play structures and also that people cannot congregate. However, access to green space is an issue around uh, equity. Uh, in addition, there has been uh, from various councillors in our city, there have been a number of councillors who have come together to ask for uh, green space and finally uh, yesterday we do now have access to parks to green space not to the place structures and people cannot congregate but thankfully the residents of Ottawa now have access to um, green space in some parts of the city as well we have certain streets that are being shut down in order to give people access to physical distancing 
um, measures when people are, are walking, obviously, on public streets. With, with the kind of sidewalks that we have, and I'm sure where, where you live as well, that it really doesn't allow for a physical and social distancing. Um, so these are, I think, the last point I wanted to make is just around the issue of people who are sole parents or single parents and single moms. Uh, what we have heard is uh, from our members is that people have difficulty obviously taking their children to grocery stores. We've heard issues around people just having difficulties accessing something as simple as diapers for their, their infants. And we've heard about the added stress of having to parent and, and care give while working from home and, and teleschool or provide uh, education schooling for, for children at home. So one of our recommendations was that childcare for essential workers be extended to single parent families as well. And now I'll pass it on to Valerie. Thanks, Patricia. Uh, as you're well aware of, um, based on the talk that you had last week, I believe, um, there has been an increase in domestic violence. And we know that um, in some COVID-19 affected countries, um, they have already reported as many as triple the number of domestic violence cases. Um, we're seeing similar uh, patterns here in Ottawa, uh, as I'm sure is very common in other places too. Uh, so. Um, violence against women and gender diverse people and children is on the rise but one of the problems is, is that it's also more hidden now um, because people are not able to reach out because they're either at home with their abusers um, they may not have access to technology um, and also uh, kids are not at school so staff at school are not necessarily noticing um, when kids come in um, with signs of abuse. Uh, so that's something that we're asking for um, greater awareness of and greater response to as well. Um, we're also hearing from uh, our partners and our membership that uh, one of the top needs continues to be food security. Um, women are often the primary care caregivers in their families, so food often falls under their responsibility. In addition, for people who are street involved or couch surfing, food is a real concern, partly because the food that's available from food banks is really most appropriate for people who have access to kitchens. And there are organizations um, and uh, community groups that have started offering food vouchers and gift cards um, so that people can go and, and get what's accessible to them or what's needed if they don't have but not everybody's aware of where to go for this. So we're also asking um, that the city act as a central information hub for everything related to food security because the information right now is very piecemeal. Um, you have to really search in different places to, to get it. Um, and that's something that uh, is being worked on. Finally, I want to talk about housing. Uh, so in Ottawa, a housing crisis was declared in January of this year. And um, this has really strong impacts during COVID-19. So obviously, um, it's harder to isolate when your housing is precarious or you don't have access to housing at all. Um, and women are overrepresented in the hidden homeless. And by hidden homeless, it means people who are couch surfing 
or who are temporarily housed with family or friends. Uh, and in this sense, uh, we're pointing out that housing is health care. If everyone is able to isolate in a safe, appropriate home, we would be better able to manage the pandemic. So we're currently working with the city and other partners to purchase or otherwise acquire hotels uh, and other accommodation to house those who are homeless, couch surfing, sleeping rough, or on shelter wait lists. And hopefully uh, this would be a long-term solution to the housing crisis that Ottawa is currently facing. Uh, there's also a need um, for increased testing services in shelters and for the homeless um, and more accessible washroom, shower, laundry for folks who are street involved as well. Um, We've been really pleased with uh, different things that have been accomplished. Like Patricia said, there has been um, the relaxation of restrictions on access to green space, which is a really positive move. Um, there's been volunteer groups that have started and been mobilized in different neighborhoods as like self-help support groups for people. Um, there's been lots of outpouring of support for locally owned small businesses, particularly restaurants. Um, and we've really seen the food community uh, step up in Ottawa one local restaurant is giving free meals and is doing um, online fundraising campaigns to be able to support that um, there's been a lot of advocacy also around community gardens for example and in response to that the province has reversed its decision um, that community before they decided community gardens were not an essential service and that decision was reversed about two weeks ago um, so we're very happy with these um, these progressive measures that have been taken I'll turn it back over to Patricia just to wrap up quickly on on what we see happening going forward so we are on a strict timeline here, and we really appreciate uh, you uh, listening in to this uh, important webinar. I basically just want to end by, by thanking you all, and especially uh, thanking the Southern Alberta. Sorry, just sound, thanking the council as well. Well. And I also want to thank, obviously, uh, Annalise and the moderator. I want to say that the pandemic has revealed the fault lines that are in our city of Ottawa, but it's also brought attention, as Valerie has said, to the importance of grassroots organizations that are close to people, that are close to women and people who identify as women and gender diverse people. And so it has brought organizations like Cowie um, with an intersectional gender equity uh, lens into sharp focus and the work that we do. And I think that's important. It's also revealed that equity inclusion, unfortunately, is still not deeply embedded in our city's decision-making infrastructure, and that needs to change. And so the pandemic exposes, but ho hopefully it also proposes for us another way of living locally, sustainably, with an intersectional gender equity lens, putting women and gender diverse people, and above all, people at the centre. Thank you. Great. Thanks. So now uh, we'll turn to Annalise. We're having a few technical difficulties. Um, and she's going to be typing in her questions to us and we'll read them out. 
Okay, thank you both for that talk. Um, unfortunately, I've lost audio connection with our speakers, so we're just um, going to uh, work via the chat so that I can ask questions and that I don't interrupt them unnecessarily. Um, so bear with me on that. Our first question comes today from Trevor Page. What was the reaction of Mayor and Council to your recommendations on physical distancing? I can start with that one. So um, we're very pleased with the decision that was taken yesterday uh, regarding the easing up of restrictions on uh, green space. Um, it did take a while to get to this point. I think um, the city's concerns were um, they were they were based on the recommendations that Ottawa Public Health was giving and that the provincial body on public health was giving as well. Um, and so they were they were hesitant to make any. Um, uh, hasty decisions there, but we feel, especially with um, the warmer weather coming, which I'm assuming is also coming in Lethbridge, um, that uh, there we were seeing more and more people on the streets and in public green spaces, and so I think um, this response to easing up some of the restrictions on the use of, use of green space uh, is a positive one. And we we do. Um, we 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 have been consistently acknowledging and supporting the work of Ottawa Public Health in terms of recognizing and um, doing more education on what the physical distancing requirements are, uh, and respecting those when out in in public spaces. And so our calls have been always about creating more space for people so that they can uh, have access to green space uh, equitably, but also in a manner that allows for adequate physical distancing. And this is where the piece on roads, I think still is um, outstanding. Uh, some city councillors, like Patricia was saying, have responded individually in their wards to um, putting up pylons during certain hours to expand the distance available for pedestrians or people using forms of active transportation like bicycles, skateboards, rollerblades um, to get places. Uh, so they've essentially taken over either parking lanes on roads or an additional lane of traffic. Um, but that's been done so far piecemeal and hasn't been a um, consistent response throughout the city. Okay, um, our next question comes from Timothy from the Lethbridge Herald. How many of these concerns are due to policies of local government and how much of it is related to personal fears? Are the policies reinforced, reinforcing these fears? Are the policies reinforcing these fears in your opinion? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for that. I, I think, I think there was a lot more fear circulating in the initial weeks of the pandemic, and as we're settling into a more long-term view of what um, physical distancing means and what uh, kind of um, isolation and quarantining we'll be needing to do for the foreseeable future. Uh, I think um, 
some of that fear on the personal level has relaxed a bit, um, but there still is a lot of fear, especially when it's tied to um, lack of information. And so I think um, I think sometimes uh, policies um, may come from, you know, they're coming from knowing what the uh, what Ottawa Public Health is saying and what Ontario Public Health is saying, um, but then also concerns about how are people going to react in our communities, right? And so policies are crafted with these different um, ideas in mind. I think that sometimes policies can exacerbate fears, particularly when there's not a lot of information circulated about the rationale for them and what they are exactly. So we saw that and we continue to see that with um, access to green space uh, and what Patricia was saying earlier about seniors facing a lot of fear about going out, not being sure what they uh, can or cannot do, um, people with disabilities who are worried about others not giving them enough space, um, folks who may have a uh, need to sit down from time to time, um, they're not sure if they can use benches. Hopefully some of this is going to be cleared up in the coming days as we have these new, uh, um, these this easing up of restrictions. Um, I'll leave it at that for now, Patricia, do you want to add? I guess what I would like to just add is that this is not in people's head. So when we talk about policing the pandemic, it's not mm -hmm. uh, a fear that is subjective alone. And in fact, we have um, organizations such as our own uh, Ottawa police that engage in a traffic stop race data collection project, which showed that there were certain communities, so people who are racialized as black or um, in quotations, um, look like they're from the Middle East, okay, are policed and stopped in their vehicles at a rate that is three times more than um, the people who are not uh, met groups, members of those uh, groups. So I think this, and you know, there's data as well on carding and the extent to which uh, young uh, black people in the city, especially young black men, are being carded um, as opposed to uh, those who are not. So I think it's, it's definitely, there's some objective data that we have, but we don't have obviously the full picture. Um, but it's not, it's not, these fears are not in people's heads. These fears are, are, are not just there, they're, they're actually real and they're based on, on policy and unfortunately systemic discrimination that has uh, been exhibited through policy and you know, that has been practiced through policy. And so I do also want to answer the question of Knud Peterson. Do, do we have evidence that marginal, marginalized people in Ottawa have contracted COVID-19 disproportionately? And Valerie, please do step in if um, I've, I've not answered this one <coughs> correctly. But as far as I am aware at this stage, we do not have any of that data in the city of Ottawa. That's part of the problem. The city of Ottawa is not collecting that data. I know that Toronto Public Health, for example, has started an initiative to actually collect data on who is contracting COVID-19. Uh, we don't have such an initiative in Ottawa, as far as I'm aware, and we are not, therefore, collecting that data. 
Yes, and uh, that's why one of our asks is around collecting sex disaggregated and race-based data, um, particularly related to the pandemic. And to Patricia's earlier point about um, fear, I think the one thing that this pandemic is, is really exposing is the fault line that these policies um, are affecting people uh, who are already marginalized in different ways. They're affecting them more profoundly. And these things we do know, right? Like we we do know that uh, racialized people face greater levels of law enforcement and policing, right? And so our worry when policing the pandemic, for instance, is that again, it will be racialized people and indigenous people facing the brunt of this policing. We have another question here from Bev Mundell. What city council committees does Cowie sit on to have influence? What other community groups does Cowie work with to enhance your recommendations? This is a fantastic question. question, Bev. Yeah. Um, I'll start with uh, the second part of the question in terms of what other community groups we work with. Um, we uh, are, have been um, really blessed with a wonderful um, coalition um, of support across Ottawa. We work very closely with the violence against women sector, um, work closely with the housing and homelessness sector. Um, we have a very strong relationship with the community health centers. And and so um, this just gives you an idea. And so whenever an issue comes up from our membership or from our partners, what we try and do with it, do with that is always work in coalition. So we will always um, jointly work on messaging together so that we're all collectively um, asking for the same thing. Uh, and we'll jointly work on like strategy and how are we going to um, get our voices heard in different ways. In terms of city council committees, um, we don't sit on any council committees directly. Uh, we do uh, right now co-chair with the city, the Women and Gender Equity Strategy Working Group. Uh, so last year, the city uh, decided to set up a Women and Gender Equity Strategy for the city. Uh, and we're, Cowie's co-chairing that, that committee. Um, Patricia, maybe you have some more of the historic um, piece there too in terms of council committees and well I think what I wanted to add is just that the Cowie has a very long relationship uh, working in collaboration with the city so in the past you know since inception in 2001 um, as a research action pr project we've always worked with the city even in advocacy even though we're advocating and our positions may some, often be contrary to positions the city is taking, we've worked in collaboration. Um, so on that, I, I would just want to, to add uh, that, for example, we have done the equity and inclusion lens and provided training across the city, hundreds of workshops to city staff on in integrating an equity and inclusion lens into into city policy decision making so that we've basically been one of the go-to organizations we we helped to develop that tool uh, i think cowie is very very proud of that work and that's an, another example of that uh, collaborative model that cowie has been uh, you know again academia 
working with uh, the city and then working with uh, grassroots uh, women on the ground. Mm-hmm. We have an- another question. This one's from Mark Gotel. Where does your funding come from and is it adequate? <laughs> 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 well, Funding for uh, women's organizations and feminist organizations is, uh, has been and continues to be historically poor. So um, the bulk of our funding right now comes from WAGE, Women and Gender Equality Canada, the formerly known as Status of Women. Um, that's where the bulk of our funding comes from. And no, it is not adequate unfortunately um and we continue to you know apply for funding uh and to get different types of support uh we're also branching into uh starting a social enterprise of facilitation services on diversity equity and inclusion we already offer these services out in the community uh, and we do it for a fee so that helps to subsidize some of our work um I think I'll leave it at that. Yes. Uh, We have another question from Nude Peterson. Lots of talk. What Mm -hmm. silver linings might come about following COVID-19? I believe some issues about marginalized communities might benefit. Oh, that, that marginalized communities may benefit from some of these issues. Yes. Yeah, I think what Patricia was saying at the end, um, I really feel like there's there's two things happening b- broadly with this pandemic and what it's doing. One is that, you know, and I'm taking this from Arundhati Roy's um, article called The Pandemic is a Portal, right? And there she talks about how pandemic really reveals the fault lines in our communities, in our societies, uh, in our cities. Um, But on the other hand, it also shows us that another world is possible. And we have this this possibility of reimagining what things could look like at this juncture. And I think it's it's a great opportunity to think about how can we live more sustainably? How can we live more locally? How can we think about um, reinforcing or rejuvenating our social infrastructure and the social um, support networks that we had um, that have been historically defunded starting in the 80s and continuing on. So how can we think about um, creating the kind of place that we want to live in, which really does support all members of our community um, so that they can live full lives? And to that, I would just add, I think there's an opportunity here to really uh, expose the importance of care work, which is largely work, the work of women in our society, and how that work should be better paid, better supported, with better benefits um, to ensure that people are not uh, exposed uh, or more uh, vulnerable, which is currently the situation uh, today where we have women who bear the brunt of caregiving responsibilities but also the the impact of of COVID-19 in terms of being more exposed to it in given the work that they are doing in our communities. 
And I also think it's very exciting to see what's happening on the ground in terms of, uh, you know, the, the sort of local support networks that are popping up and the, the people who are coming together. Like there's um, a campaign in Ottawa, Keep Your Rent, which I think is also active in, in other cities. But there's a real uh, solid level of um, community support and people going out and, and supporting each other, um, starting Facebook pages to um, give encouragement and support to people. And I think this this coming together, my hope is that these connections remain strong going forward. Just seeing if we have any more questions from Annalise. Okay. Okay. It it looks like this is it for all the questions. I don't see any more. I wanna um thank both Patricia and Valerie very much for joining in um, and um, giving of their precious time to be in, um, to, to join in here in Lethbridge. Um, I just see another question come in. Are, are you okay to answer one more question? Uh, the question is from Graham Smith. Um, do you think Trump do you think the Trump mentality towards women is going to be addressed during this time and finding a way through will evolve? Wow. Yeah, that's a big question. I mean, I do want to say that it's, I think it's very easy for us in, in uh, Canada to sometimes be Sorry, a little bit self-righteous. Can you... Yeah. Oh. Do, do you see that question? Can you hear me? Yes. I can yes. hear you, Annalise. I'm not sure if yeah. you can hear us. But I think what I was saying is that I think sometimes it's easy for us to be a little bit self-righteous here in, in Canada and to, to look to our neighbors to the south and say, that's a Trump mentality. I think that mentality is still very present here in, in our communities. And, uh, you know, the way in which we need to continue to counter it is in the way that, that organizations like Cowie are, are doing. And I think it's through this um, is, uh, work in which we're trying to affect systemic change and not just, you know, like in incremental change to that, that that's where the, the opportunity is. And so I think that's where our focus is and will continue to be. Great. Yeah, I think that wraps us up. Uh, Annalise, if you okay. want to give us Perfect. a wrap up. So we're going to sign off. I'm going to um, thank you once again. Um, and uh, sorry for the audio difficulties between the three of us on the Skype connection. I certainly can't hear you. Um, so thank you very much for being so flexible with me. And um, I'm going to stop the live stream now. Um, so thank you very much.